If you were emotionally or spiritually damaged by religion, today's show is for you. Stay tuned for Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show. We have a special guest today who has come all the way from North Carolina, someone whom we interviewed a few years ago, and he has graciously agreed to come and share with us again. He hosts a radio show called Sharing the Light. It's on AM 820 radio from 11.30 a.m. until noon on weekdays. I would like to introduce and welcome Pastor Alan Wright from Renolda Church in Winston-Salem, North Winston Carolina. Salem, North Carolina, right. So good to be with you. And thank you so much for coming. You're the senior pastor there. How long have you pastored? 21 years. 21 great years. Yeah. And that's great. I think that's about how long our pastor's been here. It's been a privilege. It's good. It's great. And tell us about the website for your Sharing the Light. Sharingthelight.org, uh, where our radio broadcasts, all kinds of resources are available, daily devotionals, all kinds of opportunities to grow in the gospel of grace, sharingthelight.org. And to, and to learn about grace, too. And you wrote a book entitled Free Yourself, Be Yourself. Uh, it was formerly entitled Shame Off You, Shame right? Off You, originally, and it's the same book by a different title. Right, and it's a very good book, and we did cover that a little bit last time when we interviewed you. In fact, we interviewed him on October 16th of 2014, uh, and if you would like to see that interview, you can go to our website, whatloveisthis.tv, and the title of that interview is Shame Off You, and it's episode number 7.38, and we urge you to go see it because it was a great interview. We're going we're gonna to just kind of continue... Great. Uh, now, uh, from the same topic, kind of, that we did at that time, pick up the same thing, theme, because there are many people who are hurt yeah. by religion. And, and that's a lot of what your message is, and people who leave Mormonism or leave polygamy. And they've been so damaged by it that uh, what you have to say will help them. And so that's what we're going to do. But first, um, why you're, you have such a passion, such a heart uh, to share what you do with people so that they'll avoid religions that you shame in legalism for members' acceptance and value. Unfortunately, Doris, the, the two biggest dispensers of shame are family and religion. And That's sad, isn't it? It's sad. And uh, essentially, shame is a lie. <laughs> it says, you don't measure up. There's something that's wrong with you. You need to figure out what that is. You need to measure up if you're going to be fully accepted and loved. Mm -hmm. And because we are made, God wired us to be loved and accepted. We're made for that. There's nothing wrong with wanting love and right, acceptance. We right. need love and acceptance. But because we need it so much, if it is withheld from us, mm -hmm. if it is dangled in front of us like a carrot, mm -hmm. that if you'll do these things, then you can be loved and accepted. Well, that's what shame does to that's us. Does. It makes us want to try harder for the short term. But on the inside, it creates anxiety. It creates um, angst and strife. So for some people, what that shame does, it makes them eventually go, well, I can't do all this, so I just give up on it, so and they rebel. Right. But a whole other group of people, they say, well, 
I'll, the way that I'll get over this terrible angst that I have is I'll just do more and more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And I tended more in that direction. And to discover the grace of Jesus Christ is to discover a message so freeing that once you've tasted of it, and what's happened to me, yeah. you want everybody to know this. <laughs> That's absolutely. You want everyone absolutely. to know that religions and all the shame that goes with these religious systems will bind you, will hurt you, mm -hmm. and will never, ever, ever set you free. And so <clears throat> it is. And when I see people that are uh, bound up in that shame, and I see what happens to children, and I see the anxiety, and I see the 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 ways in which. Uh, joy is lost, a sense of purpose in this world is forfeited, the delight of real relationship with Christ, all of when I see that, it's just unbearable to me. It is. And so I just keep, mm -hmm. I'm and, just going to keep preaching ministry, it. And your ministry yeah. does such a wonderful job. In fact, you're here to do a workshop That's right. based on this book, uh, Free Yourself, Be Yourself. Now this this show will be, not be shown, we're taping it, so it won't be shown for a few weeks yet. But um, when, so, but you're doing the workshop right now. When, when someone attends your workshop, what can they hope to take away with them from being there? Well, you know, the first thing that most people <clears throat> take away from it is they, they're like, they're like I was. They'll say, I didn't even know this was an issue for me. Hmm. And most people that you say, well, do you think you have shame issues? Most people say no, uh, because it's not something we're aware of. It was so fascinating to me that uh, I had gone through seminary. I had been in youth ministry. I had done clinical pastoral education, and I'd been in the ministry for about eight years before I even knew what shame was. Mm. I remember the first time I was, I was talking to a counselor friend, and I said, what do you think is behind addiction, really? And he said, I think the root behind it is shame. I said, what do you mean by that? Well, he went on to explain some of what I was just mentioning a few moments ago, and I thought, mm -hmm. I never even heard of this. Wow. So the first thing that happens to people in our workshop is they realize that maybe there is a silent, hidden tyrant inside of them that is dictating, that is, that is uh, ordering their world, and it's, it's not, it's, 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 it's this, this silent shame of, of always feeling like I'm under the pressure of having to do more. And people discover that. And so people say, I didn't even know I had it. I didn't even know didn't that. Know what that and was, then yeah. people say this about the gospel in general, but they discover, say, I never heard it quite like this. Uh, in our workshops, we, uh, we just have to choose certain areas so we we learn about how not just one lie of shame that says unless you measure up you can't be accepted yeah. but if you believe one wrong thought so many other deceptions can be joined to it we expose a lot of that and so a lot of christian growth right is just yeah, yeah. replacing one lie with the truth day after right, day exactly. being transformed yeah. by the renewal of your mind uh, virtually everyone who's raised in a polygamy environment and, and escape and to get out, of course, they will carry this kind of baggage with them because the, the, the polygamy and Mormonism itself does use the shame and the guilt as control um, features for their members. But they will bring this baggage out with them and it'll dog them for the rest of their lives unless it's, unless they re label, it's labeled like you're just talking about. Uh, and part of the baggage, too, is mistrust. Mistrust of your religion and definitely mistrust of God simply because all their life they've been heard, this saith the Lord, when it wasn't the Lord who said it. It was somebody else's agenda saying, Yes. It, that it was the Lord's agenda. And then, of course, there's parents and churches, like you say, that uh, withhold love, using it as a tool of control. You said 
that withholding love, you said this in one of your broadcasts, that withholding love is not God's way, but is hell's way. Yes. And, and that's a heavy statement. Would you please expound a little more on what you mean by that? And what should those who have been spiritually abused that way do? And what part does forgiveness hold in the total well, healing? Well, let's start with this first statement. It is a radical statement to say <laughs> that the withholding of love is the strategy of hell. But it is the giving of love that is the strategy of God. Exactly. Isn't God it? so loved the world yes. that He gave His only begotten Son. How did God set out to change the whole world? Love. He came to us in love. How is it that people actually repent? The Bible says the kindness of God, kindness of God. leads to repentance. Right. See, people actually change profoundly only when they are loved. And His love is unconditional. His it, love is unconditional. It's not a control feature on His life. So God <laughs> relates to us uh, as the one who loves us infinitely, perfectly. What does perfect love do? Perfect love casts out fear. Mm -hmm. So God wants us as His children to live in a relationship that does not have fear that we would be rejected by Him, but to come into a certainty through the new covenant of Christ. So Christ, who died in our place, did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, mm -hmm. died the death that we should have died, lived the life that we couldn't live, and yet when we accept Christ, we are imputed with the very righteousness of Christ. So we are, this is what makes the gospel so wonderful, right. we are perfectly accepted in Christ. You can't add to a sacrifice. You, you can't do one thing more. You can't it's do one not, it's single not thing. Our performance it's not based. our performance. It's, it's Jesus' performance. This is, based. and what I'm describing <laughs> is the gospel. It is exactly opposite of whether it be blatant or subtle in any cult or religious system that is institutionalized and systematizing a process of holding over you the prospect that you're going to be condemned, mm -hmm. that you're not going to be worthy, that you're, you're not going to be accepted. And that's really what hell does. And so Jesus in his own lifetime, what was he battling over and over everywhere we go? Not just rebellion, but this awful ideology and spirit of religion that is wanting to say, here's what you must do in order to make yourself acceptable. Mm -hmm. It's diabolical. <clears throat> It is, uh, it is oppressive, and in the end, it will lead you only into profound angst and despair. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can vouch for that as well. Um, explain what performance-based living did to you, because you've lived this. I mean, this is an experience that you're talking out of. And, and the reason I'm so, I'm so, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is that how subtle it was that I picked up these messages. I never had anybody in my home saying, oh, Alan, if you don't perform, you're not going to uh, be loved. Nobody ever said that to me. Oh, they did to me. I was, and I wasn't in an abuse. I just was able, by being in the context of a home where the dad who's left and uncertainties and feeling like that I always should rise up to a certain standard, I just breathed it in and realized mm. this became my system of thinking, mm -hmm. which is part of what needs to go. When, when you are in an abusive environment and it is actually lorded over you, how, how, much, how much more so? But so for me, again, it could have gone a different direction. But for me, I thought, well, the key to having people love and accept you is make sure you please them all the time. Mm -hmm, they please her, right. Um, and, and going on from another message that you gave uh, earlier, explain why performance isn't 
everything which you've already started to do and why it's not even expected by God. That's the beauty of it. The, the whole beauty of it. And this is the thing. And I think there are some, even within Christian churches, there are some well-meaning preachers and teachers and parents who think, if I want my child to really be motivated, I need to withhold a little bit of my love and acceptance or else it'll go to their head. They'll quit trying. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is that we do not actually excel in an environment of anxiety. We actually excel in an environment of faith. And when we're born into the world, here's God's plan. Mm -hmm. You're born into a loving family, and as a baby, you can't contribute. You can't, what can a baby do? Exactly. Cry, wet a diaper. I mean, that's yeah. about all you can do. And yet, yeah, well, everybody you, just loves them. It just loves you. <laughs> and what does that love do? Love builds a sense within that little child that maybe I can trust. If I'm loved like this, I matter and I can trust. In other words, faith is born and security is born out of the environment of love. When faith and security grow and mature, then what happens is we say to ourselves, God has great purposes in my life. There are many things I can do. I have gifts. I matter. Mm -hmm. And that kind of child, that kind of human being wants to move forward, wants to, wants to excel. So exactly. the Christian life yeah. is not a life where we say, oh, because no. God loves you, therefore it doesn't matter what you do with your life. No, not at well, all. Well, that's not what happens. And that's not what happens. Yeah. yeah, and yet, but that is, a, like you say, accused. We're accused of that sometimes. On the back cover of your book, you've got five problems uh, that you've listed that are resulting from performance-based living. I want to say each one, and then you briefly um, maybe explain right. your answer uh, to the problem. Right. Um, the first one is hypersensitivity. Why am I so bothered by every criticism? Yeah. It was one of the things I noticed in my own life, Doris, was, you know, why, why could it be I could preach a sermon and have hundreds of people walk out and say, that bless my life, and one person send you a, a, an ugly note and you think only about the ugly <laughs> note. Why, what yeah, is that within us, within yeah. right? You know? And I know all of us have a little bit of that, but I think that what shame does is it causes us to brood over the criticism because of the lie that says, if I'm not, if I'm not doing well enough, I won't be accepted. So even smallest criticisms get generalized and mm. we think, mm. I am being condemned here. And so something either bothers me a lot or I feel like I have to rise up and protect myself. I always joke now, my wife could uh, joke about this as well, but I think earlier in our marriage, um, you know, the trash would sit there. It was my job to take it out. I didn't take it out. And then it it move over in front of the door after that, you know, and, and Ann would say, Alan, the trash needs to go out. And uh, all she meant was the trash needs to go out. But I would hear through this filter, you're a bad husband. Mm. Well, if she mm. actually was saying you're a bad husband, we're probably going to have a fight on our hands, aren't we? Mm. But that's not what she was yeah. saying. So I think sometimes what happens for the person who has some shame-based thinking patterns is you hear a criticism but to you, it filters right through the shame and it gets generalized to you as a person and it feels crushing mm -hmm. or it can make you angry, it can make you resentful, and it can cause more conflict than there was ever supposed to be. And there's somewhere um, 
someone may try so hard to get for a particular um, project they're doing or whatever it might be and then and they've done their best they think they've done a wonderful job and then they're criticized from it and that just crushes them because they tried so hard to yeah. get it so right the only way that you can ever um, be able to take criticism and not be crushed by it and uh, not brood over it is a radical security in Christ. In Christ, who you are in Him. And we'll talk about that a little later. Okay, the second point is self-doubt. Why do I always question my abilities and motives? See, I would find myself sometimes in situations where maybe the Lord had really uh, promoted me to a certain uh, place. He wanted a certain task or something for me to do. But I always just remember feeling like, well, I don't know, maybe they should get somebody else for this. Uh, even if maybe I was the one, even if I was God's man for it, why would I feel that way? Mm -hmm. Why always doubting myself? And I came to discover it was, it was through the roots of shame-based thinking. Because in shame-based thinking, once again, if, if I have somehow believed a lie that I don't measure up, then even when you're being used by the Lord, and you know God has put you in this position, you've I've taught myself to doubt whether really I am the one for this. Mm -hmm. And I think it, the solution to this is I come to realize, well, it doesn't mean that I'm the best. It doesn't mean that I was uh, the one who had proved myself worthy of it. It just means that this is the way God does. This he uses who He wants to use. <laughs> and He can true. use me as much as He can use anybody else. Might as well be me. Especially when He's the one who, who <laughs> he's uh, the equips one. you for it, too. Exactly. Okay, the third one is people-pleasing. Why do I have a hard time saying no or facing <laughs> conflict? <laughs> this might be my, one of my worst problems. And I think a lot of, a, a lot of our viewers could identify with this. The, the, the problem that... Uh, sociologists and psychologists might call boundaries that have become blurred. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, um, I, it was rooted in if I need to please you to make sure that I'm accepted, then it's going to be very hard to not wonder if I say no to this, uh, does that mean you're going to reject me? So that was my, my problem. In the worst cases where people have been abused or molested, They've been treated like um, you exist for my satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And when you begin to think yeah. that way, yeah. right? You begin to think, I exist in order to please someone else's, right. meet someone else's needs. Those boundaries, those, those, those lines of which you clearly know what you should say yes to and what you say no to, they become very blurred. And there's a lot of healing that needs to happen before you can comfortably say no, yes. yes. And so it's, it's okay to say no, and it's okay not to please all the people all the time. It's not only okay to not please all the people all the time, it is imperative it's a, it's not to please everybody not to. all the time. <laughs> because right. not only will you never be able to, but if we seek to, then we'll we won't be sensitive really to the actual us. promptings of the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, very true. And also, uh, we, we, what we care about sometimes when we're in that process is more, what's more important is what people think of us rather than our own well-being. Than our own well-being. You, you, your own health, spiritually, yeah, emotionally, right. even physically, true. can be in danger. Exactly. Okay, number four, uh, fear of failure. Why do I feel like I have to be perfect? And yeah. this kind of goes on with, with these right. are building upon each other. They build upon each other, and I really think that in the New Testament image of what a stronghold is, a spiritual stronghold, it is what one writer has called a house of thoughts. 
it is where you start with the wrong presupposition and then you build upon it mm -hmm. and you build upon mm -hmm. it and you build upon it. Mm -hmm. So if, if I were to believe, which uh, I think was the root of my problems, that because I'm flawed, I'm less loved, if you believe that foundational lie, then the next layer of this wall that got built, this figurative stronghold, is, well, I, I, need, to, I need to close up, mm. hide from people. Mm -hmm. I need to be more. Because think of this. If, if it were true that I'm less loved because I'm flawed, I'd want to cover up my flaws, and I want to do everything I could to not have any flaws. That's right. And so that effort to not let anybody see your flaws and yet try to get rid of all your flaws is perfectionism that is woven into a horrible place of hiding because nobody's going to be perfect, but that's Nobody, what causes it. Absolutely. And of course, that's what religions, they thrive on that's that. That's what religion does. Doing. Exactly. And then, of course, we're, we're afraid of negative judgment. Somebody's going to yes. judge us in a negative way. And then there's those who think they can judge our motives, and we're afraid maybe that they're going to make a misjudgment or a negative judgment right. or whatever. Right. So, so we're living in that kind of fear of, well, so we can't fail because we can't handle that kind exactly. of the criticism. Exactly. Like and then the number five is self-sabotage. Why yeah. can't I celebrate my gifts, who I am, rather than and, and accept God's blessing? Rather yeah. in, 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 in shame-based homes, there's not a lot of celebration. Um, but the kingdom of God is full of celebration. Mm, it is, isn't it? Look, look at the image of who God is in the, in the story of what we call the prodigal son, who comes home and the father says, we're going to kill the fatted calf, yeah. and we are going to have an a unbelievable party. party right? <laughs> That's a picture of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is compared to a wedding banquet, which was the greatest of all celebrations. Mm -hmm. In the environment of celebration, children discover that life can be a delight, that my life is worthy of being celebrated just because I exist. And in the context of that celebration, where there is joy, there is a strength that comes from that. Mm. So in this spiritual battle that we're in, our enemy wants us to have no joy, right. and it so celebration, steals and steals it. So celebration gets muffled. And I, I just have discovered in my life, the more that shame lifted and the more the gospel of grace comes in, it brought a spirit of celebration. I used mm -hmm. to think, because mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I was always... Uh, I always lean towards being more of those kind of intellectual uh, type people, and I always thought, well, those people that celebrate all the time, they're just not serious enough. They're not, they're, they're not, spiritual. they're, yeah, they're not, yeah, <laughs> no. And now I realize, no, um, the joy of the Lord is our strength, it and is. it actually, it by that, means in the spiritual battle for the fervor that we need and the, the resolute uh, standing strong in the day of temptation, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, and you know, in the Old Testament, this surprised me as a new Christian when I was started really digging into the Bible, how many times God told the Israelites in the Old Testament, ancient Israel, to celebrate. Celebrate. And sit and drink and be merry and, you know. And, <laughs> and we and, uh, gave them seven feasts a year, uh, spring, yeah. summer, and fall. There's going to be some celebration on the way. Uh-huh, all yeah. the time. And if you can't, if you can't take your food with you, sell it and <laughs> sell buy it when you get there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to take our conversation now to a, a little different level or topic. Um, you're a pastor, and you read, and you study, yeah. and you pray over the Bible, and you teach it, and you're always 
I know from hearing you that you're you're really on your knees before God to get a greater or deeper understanding of how to teach it. I would like to bring up uh, an exclusive um, question that this culture would thrive on. From a biblical standpoint, the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, does it establish exclusive relationship between one man and one woman, and is it the authority and the standard for monogamy for all mankind for all time? Well, absolutely, and I think that you know one of the things that you learn as a student of the Bible is that there's sort of a principle of first things. First time you see something mentioned in the scripture, you're going to learn a whole lot about what is going to be consistent throughout the entirety of the Word of God. Yes. And so that God could have chosen so much to tell us about creation and early humanity. I've often wondered, there are a lot of yeah, things I wonder about Adam and Eve, a lot of yeah. questions. But here's what he wanted us to know, that being man by himself as a male gender, that the creation wasn't complete yet, so he created female. And that in so doing, he made these two very, very different, uh, these very different creatures who yet were both equally in his own image, mm -hmm. male and female. Right. And that through these seeming opposites, he brings about his plan for procreation in the world, mm -hmm. productivity. And he showed us that in this monogamous relationship between one man and one woman, there is the place for the kind of love that God has for us mm -hmm. within that Absolutely. type of monogamous mm -hmm. covenant. See, in marriage between man and a woman, there is on display the, the opportunity for a love that is seated in choice. So anybody who's been married a long time and been married joyfully and happily through that knows that you love in a way that the world does not know in its simply romantic ideas of love. And you're loving someone different than you, you're, but the same. But the same. Yeah. And so the idea of one man, one woman in a monogamous relationship is not, despite what the spirit of the age might say, is not restricting. It is absolutely freeing mm -hmm. because I know mm -hmm. that I have my wife's love and she knows she has mine because we're in a covenant that's not going to end Mm -hmm. as with each other. And I ask this question because um, in the course our culture, and I'm from a polygamy group, and, and they, they don't th believe that that is the standard for monogamy right. just because it happens to be there. But I'm also getting questions from people who are, are question, or who are living what they call Christian polygamy. Because it's in the Bible, it's okay, and you know, we don't make it a requirement for salvation like the Mormons do, but, and, and so they, they question the the monogamy that that is not the standard just because it's there it does it does not necessarily mean it's God's standard. And so which is why I, I point not just to oh here here's like a law that God says although He's clearly spit out this is what marriage is, but to understand that it's not freeing to go into plural marriage or plural relationships it's binding. Mm -hmm. You lose yeah, you don't and you gain. You lose more and more and more and more and more and more. Right. 
and the more wives you take, of course, the worse it gets for all the parties involved. Well, we're almost at the end of our first. We're going to do two parts on this. Wonderful. And I want to thank you very much for coming and sharing. We're going to talk a little bit more about stuff like this uh, in part two. Um, our greatest desire, of course, is to see the spiritually abused find their way to deep and whole, total healing. And because of the nature of their abuse, they often reject the very person who can heal them. And of course, that's Jesus Christ. And they reject him because it was in his name that the damage was done. Jesus has no part of religious violence, oppression, or polygamy. He proved his love for you on the cross, and that's the best way to prove it. See you next time for part two of our interview. Thank you. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.